You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Mark, good morning. It's October 10th, uh, Saturday morning, a Saturday morning edition of the Beltway Briefing. And welcome to our friend and colleague, Caitlin Martin. Good morning. Our colleague in our D.C. Public Strategies Office joins us often. So, Caitlin, thanks for joining us on this pre-November, October Saturday. Caitlin um, always joins us, Howard, very prepared. So I know I love that I'm, because I'm a little somebody, intimidated already. Somebody needs to keep you and your whatever philosophy in check. <laughs> Keeping you so, honest, Mark. Yeah. Exactly. So capital um, L liberal. So meant liberalism. Except except when you're not, which by the way, we'll get we'll get to later. <laughs> um, so guys, um, I'm gonna start with the question that's at the forefront of everyone in America's mind. Who won the VP debate? Mike, Kamala, or the fly? Well, I am a follower of the fly on Twitter now. I and 600,000 others. The fly has uh, its own Twitter account. So I think that that's an easy answer. But... uh, All kidding aside, all I look at is the impact on the election. I don't think it moved the needle one voter either way. And since Biden-Harris is ahead, it's a a W for Kamala. Caitlin? I think... I think it was a draw. I think it was interesting to see how um, the VP debate got higher ratings than any past VP debate had in in recent years. I think America was relieved to see two calm, mature adults on the stage, not interrupting each other, answering serious questions, talking about the issues, talking about policy. I think VP Pence did a great job. I think he really, we saw once again that Harris was unable to, you know, 20, four days before the election, answer that very basic question of will the Biden administration support packing the Supreme Court? And I think we had a real substantive conversation on the issues. Obviously, with my personal background, you know, in my eyes, um, Mike Pence really pulled it out. But I think to America, it was really seen as a draw and a, and a relief. Yeah, and, I, no, I think that's a great point, a relief, because look, regardless of who wins the presidential we have two of the oldest candidates ever to run for president. If Biden is elected, he'll be the oldest ever to be sworn in as president. And um, that's, and, and so I think this is a more consequential vice presidential election, so to speak, than, than the typical election, Mark. Well, I agree with that, I just will note for the record that I disagree with most of what Caitlin had to say, but it's not worth deconstructing because all that matters is whether it moved a voter one way or the other, and it and it didn't. But, so I'm, but Mark, I'm not sure that's all that matters because... Well, because I one mean, of these 70-something-year-old white men is going to win and the other is going to lose. So it it's all about whether that debate influenced 
the election. I do agree mm-hmm. it's consequential. Mm-hmm. Of course it is. Whichever of these men is elected, uh, the vice presidency is as important, maybe more so than ever before. But I think what, what we're seeing is... Uh, People have made up their minds, and almost nothing is moving voters. Was America relieved, as you and Caitlin said? Uh, Sure. How could anything uh, be less relieving than the presidential debate? So, of course. It's not just about that, that, Mark, though. It's about um, the direction of the country and people feeling like, there's some stability on the other side of this thing. This isn't, yes, there's an election in 25 days or whatever it is. And um, on one level, that's all that matters. But on another level, everything that comes after that matters so much more. And this is a huge part of this so much more. I mean, you have to think like Biden, if Biden wins, if your guy wins, he isn't going to be president for eight years. Well, we don't know that, but come on, Mark, I think you have to when you say the country was relieved, you no Trump voter watched that debate and said, boy, I'm relieved that if Joe Biden is elected and isn't president for eight years, we have Kamala Harris waiting. And no Biden voter watched that debate and said, wow, I'm relieved if Trump is elected and doesn't serve out the full term, we have Mike Pence waiting. People are divided. I I wish it were otherwise. But this notion that that people are relieved that the vice president on the other side of the divide was polite. Just I how about on the same side of the divide. I mean, well, Mark, yeah. there are lots of people who have there are lots of people who are supporting Biden who have serious questions about his fitness to be president. They're willing to vote for him. As I've told you on this podcast, a friend of mine said he's willing to vote for a baked potato over Trump and he's a staunch Republican. Or Howard. Yeah. There are many people on that that are in that camp that don't actually agree with the policies that are being put forth by the Biden Harris administration. Yes. Maybe they're, you know, they want to return to normalcy. They want to see, um, you know, a president that maybe comes across as quote unquote, a bit more presidential. But what I found with that debate, we got into the issues, whether it was support for the green new deal, you know, the Democrats position on climate change, where they are on, on healthcare and What I was thinking is if you're an independent voter who doesn't really care that much for Trump, doesn't really love the behavior over the past, you know, three and a half, almost four years, doesn't love, you know, what he tweets, but you're really thinking about the policies at issue here, you did get a clear juxtaposition on Wednesday Wednesday night on the issue. There are 11 of those people in the entire country. That's not true. And five of them broke one way and six of them broke the other way. That's not true, Mark. The undecided in this election, according to every available piece of evidence and data, are unprecedentedly low. It's maybe seven people. But but let me just ask you guys, because I thought we started with agreement on this. 
And I, I accept there are many different ways of looking at this, but if all you care about, and I raise my hand again and say it's all I care about, is whether it changed voters, do you, do you think it did? No, I don't think it changed. Then let's move on. No, because because we have an election in 25 days and all that and people are voting, by the way, yesterday. Today, Mark, this isn't just about winning. It's about what comes after and calming voters and calming nerves is just as important on and some I ask level you again, as the tell result. Me, tell me the Trump voter who watched that and said, I got no use for Biden. No, I'm voting it, Trump, but I'm going to be calm when Trump loses because Kamala's there. Mark, there are people uh, who are supporting Biden who needed to be reassured that Kamala would get up on that stage and act presidential. Totally agree. Like totally me. With that. Like me. Totally, okay. Totally agree. Like me. That. I'm a Republican. I I am supporting Biden. Almost everybody I worked with in the George W. Bush administration is supporting Joe Biden, the people that I know and like. And they needed to be reassured, Mark. And they needed to be reassured because it's because not because they question Biden, but because every Mark, every single conversation I have with a Democrat includes an admission that Biden has lost a step or five or six. Well, so I, he's, already, he's already out, he's already out wait, there wait, calling wait. it. He's already out there calling it the Harris administration. I mean, now, voters should absolutely see it, what they're voting okay. for. It does matter, Mark. It does matter <laughs> Howard, because- Howard. Well, I don't know where to begin. You, I guess you don't include me among the Democrats you talk to because I don't accept this Biden is- a step or three or five behind. Mark, I'm not going to call you out on the podcast, but uh, I wish I could replay the tape. Maybe (laughs) I I guess I am calling you out. No, replay the tapes from earlier in the year. No, But, but listen, listen, I agree. I completely agree that each side was reassured. Each side was reassured within its silo. So depending on your perspective, if all you care about is did it move voters, we all agree no. If what you are asking is were Democrats, sorry, strike that, were whatever you are, Democrat, Republican, Independent, Martian, you've done a masterful job of hiding your affiliation. Well, I've worked for, Mark, as you know, I've worked for both sides. And I'm still not sure. After 11 years of talking to you multiple times a day, I'm still not sure. But if what you are saying is were shaky Biden voters reassured that Kamala could take that stage and act, quote, presidential. Yes. And and I think on the other side, I have a it's hard for me to stand in Caitlin's shoes there. Even Caitlin, even on the opposite side of the aisle, I guess my view is, but I want you to comment. You mean there's there's philosophy and personality. And there's always going to be argument about the political philosophy. You mean you mean the policy, Howard, when you say political philosophy? Yes, the policy versus the personality. (laughs) 
And we have been living in an insanely personality-driven, head-spinning time. We've seen some good policy, in my opinion, come through, too, in that crazy time. But but yes, I hear you. Right. But it's obscured, in my opinion, by the, by the personality. And I think it's healthy for everybody and stabilizing for everybody. This is my view. It doesn't mean it's America's view, but it's my view that that's good for the country, that it's good for... I'm not supporting Trump, but it is good for me to see that, you know, Mike Pence can get up there and be Mike Pence. And it's good for somebody who's supporting Trump to see that Kamala Harris can get up there and and be presidential. And I think that has a tremendous amount of value. Mark, you're you're a thousand percent right. It may not affect November 3rd. But there's a lot more at stake right now than just November 3rd. Of course, the future of the country and through it uh, to an extent, the rest of the world okay. is, is at stake, of course. So, but, but there is, unlike the Beltway briefing, for example, where there is never a definitive resolution, someday before January 20th, there will be a definitive resolution of this election. One candidate will have won, one candidate will have lost. And that's the prism through which I am viewing everything from Trump's recovery from the virus to the vice presidential debate okay. to the Heat Lakers series. Okay. So then what, Mark? Which is a great series. It is a great series. Yeah. Um, so then what, Mark? Then what? Biden wins. Let's say Biden wins. Let's say the polls are the polls are right. You know, if you look at the um, uh, 538, the Nate Silver's forecast, um, Biden has an 80 percent chance of winning. The Democrats have a have a 70 percent chance of, of taking the Senate. That's way um, too high. 80, well, 85 and 67. But yeah. OK, have, have, I did my research, Caitlin. I do. Okay. That's the only thing I looked at before this. So so then what? Then where are we? Well, has, you know, okay, you've won. How, how are we going to get this thing back to, how are we going to normalize? Well, no, that is an extraordinarily serious question that has no easy answer. The reason I believe that Joe Biden is the right president for our time is that he has the best shot. And it's only a shot. He has the best shot at calming things down because of his personality, as as you put it, because of his experience, demeanor, relationships in Washington and the rest. But what what we're going to find, I think, I hope, is we have to sort out those dimensions of this madness we've been through those dimensions that Trump caused and those dimensions that Trump is a symptom of. Those that Trump caused start going away when Trump goes away. And a lot of the I don't, craziness, I think, starts I going know. away. But we are left with, with a divided country. And it's, it is going to... 
be a real challenge, a real challenge. But at least here's the night and day difference. Caitlin, this is this is a filibuster, which (laughs) marks progressive parties. Party will be doing away with. I have a question for Caitlin. Exactly. Absolutely right, Howard. May I ask you continue filibustering, Mark? May I ask you a question, Caitlin? Sure. Do you you believe that Trump has (laughs) tried to unite the country or has tried to divide it? And do you believe that Biden will try, maybe fail, but will at least try to unite the country? That to me is the night and day difference between these two men. I think that Donald Trump does not try to inflame tensions. I think that he speaks for a lot of Americans around the country that are underrepresented that were, you know, silent Americans for many years. I think it's a little bit of, you know, some of what we've seen with the hatred and the vitriol. I think he could do a better job trying to calm the waters, but I do not believe that he intentionally inflames. No. And I think that this right now where we are with our economy and with the shutdowns and this, you're absolutely right. This nation is at a place where we're, it's a powder keg and it's scary and it scares me. And yes, do I want to see him take a softer tone? Absolutely. Do I want to see him stop tweeting? Absolutely. But when you talk about some of the things from a policy standpoint that he's yeah. done, it's, it's two separate conversations. And let's go there because I think Caitlin, what I'm hearing from my conservative friends is that they genuinely fear a progressive wave in a Biden administration. Mark, it's it's indisputable that the Democratic Party has become more progressive in the last four years. Um, So, Caitlin, is that a legitimate fear? Absolutely. I think that the Democratic Party has shifted further and further to the left. We saw that with the primaries this year. We saw that with, you know, Biden kind of trying to appease the Bernie Sanders wing of the party, the Elizabeth Warren, the AOC and the squad, you know, having um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez write his environmental platform. And I think that's a real concern because that is not where most of America is. That might be where New York, Hollywood, you know, the East and West Coast, (laughs) but that is not where the policies in most of America is. So we had a primary with 20 some candidates. The most uh, moderate among them is the nominee. And he picked the vice presidential nominee who is the most progressive senator in the U.S. Senate. Yeah. And by the way, I don't think that's true because i think bernie's offended when people say that but it doesn't matter she's most progressive democrat bernie's a communist (laughs) yep there you go well is he a monster too like uh trump called kamala the other day i don't know should we go back to my disagreement with you saying that trump doesn't try to inflame when no, he says the suburbs are gone if no, let's talk record. about the question that's on the table which is um, we have a choice we have a choice we have a choice mark but Biden people are okay part of the consideration is what the policies are going to look like this isn't just about a choice between two people. It's about a choice between two different philosophies. 
from a policy point of view. And there are a lot of people who fear a progressive wave. And I'm asking you if that's legitimate. I think fear of- And all you want to do is talk about Trump, which I understand on one level, but let's set that aside for a second. I don't think you will see a progressive wave in a unified democratic government. I think you will clearly see- action that is more uh, more progressive than action in a unified Republican government would be. But the the AOC talking point, which I compliment Caitlin for finally getting to, we usually don't go 28 minutes until AOC comes up. But and I heard this week she doesn't like AOC, so I appeal <laughs> to you, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Oh, I missed that. Okay. okay. Thank you. She I, yelled I, at the vice president. I missed, I missed that part. But no, I don't think there will be a pro- progressive wave. I think there will be bold action. I think that what you will see in a unified democratic government, first, second, and third, I'm quoting Howard Schweitzer here, by the way, first, second, and third, you will see bold action on the uh, coronavirus pandemic. Can you, Mark, what does that look like? What does bold action on the coronavirus look like to you? Well, it looks like a number of things. It looks like a uh, mask mandate, although the president can't order you, Caitlin, to wear a mask. We know that. But it looks like active encouragement of all the recommended public health measures, respect for them instead of disparagement of them. It looks like a bold stimulus, which one day the president wants in a tweet and the next day he wants nothing. Well, it's not just him. It's that's about everybody tossing a political football so that the other side looks like they're the obstructionist and right. Nancy's doing it just as much as the president's doing it. It's a, it's a game and it's silly. It's a silly game agreed there because the country is hurting and, and we need, bold action. It's an annoying game for us because our clients call us every hour (laughs) wanting to know where we are in, you know, in that hour. And it changes 10 minutes later. It's annoying. I don't want to give away trade secrets, Howard, but as long as the game is being played, people are still calling us. So there is that. Good point, Mark. Good (laughs) point. Fair point. Us, including Caitlin. Caitlin has been very, very helpful with her talking point insights from the uh, call she has with Mitch McConnell. We appreciate that. But but yeah, of course, look, most fundamentally, you are going to see a federal national response to the virus. And you can think that's good. I do. The public health experts do. A majority of the country, I believe, does. You can think that's not good, but that isn't a progressive wave. I think, Howard, what you're going to see is something you have predicted, which is that if we get a unified democratic government, you're going to see the Democratic Party start fighting uh, in the family because there is a one. I think you might get 30 days of consensus. Well, probably day one of the transition, frankly. Day one of the transition, because it's, look, at the end of the day, having served in multiple administrations in both parties, it's all about who's in what seats. Right. 
and everybody's attention is focused on the White House, very understandably, because that's where the news cycle resides. But most of the decisions that get made are in the trenches. And they're made by the people who happen to be sitting in certain seats based on the philosophy they brought into government. And that's where you have to meet them. And to the extent that there are hyper progressive appointees, they're going to govern from a hyper progressive perspective. And and I think we're going to see more of that in this administration, certainly than we saw in the Obama administration. Well, I I think that's right. But let's not forget before we uh, run out of time to talk for a a minute or two about the Senate. Right. That's where we're pivoting next. So that's a good segue, Mark. The, um, and then I'm going to put in a plug here for our new weekly Cozen Currents, which is a C-suite, uh, a weekly snapshot of what's going on in Washington for the C-suite. It's supposed to be a, a two to three page quick bullet point read. Um, so we uh, encourage all of you to, to take a look at that. And we're going to talk about the Senate races and Currents this week. Um, just a level set. So right now, the Senate is 53 Republicans, 45 Democrats, one independent, Angus King from Maine, who caucuses with the Democrats, and one socialist, communist, whatever you (laughs) want to call him, who pretends to be a Democrat and who almost got the Democratic nomination. Um, Bernie. So the Democrats need to pick up three seats if Biden is president, four if he isn't. And the Democrats are going to lose Alabama. Doug Jones is going to lose to the former Auburn football coach because it's Alabama. Um, and so you definitely. need definitely. Yeah. Okay. So so the D's need to flip four or five seats um, in order to, depending on who's president, in order to have the majority. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what do you think the state of that? those races looks like mark you got to look at those races one at a time i I know there's a wave election political science theory but no senate elections all politics is local and you got to look at the candidates they're gubernatorial elections they are state elections and you got to look at them one at a time uh, we were looking pretty good and still are in Arizona, looking pretty good in Colorado, looking pretty good, although it's a little closer in Maine. The one that has uh, has tightened is North Carolina, where our candidate has run into some uh troubles of his own making. And that is just a, a really interesting one because I was I was thinking about this last night in in preparing Caitlin for our podcast. You know, what what happens in the following scenario? Joe Biden wins North Carolina by 2000 votes and it makes him president. Tom Tillis wins North Carolina by 2,000 votes, and it makes Mitch McConnell majority leader again. When Trump comes in to challenge the North Carolina election results and throw out all the mail-in ballots, 
Where, what does Mitch McConnell have to say about oy, that? Oy, oy, Mark. Mitch McConnell will do what Mitch does best. He'll make some diplomatic comment and stay quiet. And he's going to do whatever keeps results in that majority. I am just point. It, it's important as a data point, as you would say, Howard. It's important to realize that this isn't hanging chads. This isn't a recount of the presidential vote alone. The challenge to mail-in ballots, and North Carolina has been a battleground for that. Mm-hmm. If Republicans come in post-election to throw out those ballots, you you could change the Senate result yeah. as well. But but back to your question. But that's not likely, Mark. So let's talk about likelier scenarios. I think I think it is it is 60-40. 65-35 that we can find a fourth seat. Maybe it's North Carolina. Maybe it's Iowa. Maybe. I mean, Kate, Caitlin, you have to be nervous right now, given the polls. I mean, Iowa, Joni Ernst, the incumbent Republican, is way behind. Um, she's behind five points to the uh, Democratic challenger. Um Loeffler in Georgia is behind by four points. Well, I saw a well, Loeffler poll that had her up, and that's going to be a runoff anyways. Right, that that right. race is not going to be decided until January. But the latest poll I saw had Loeffler up a little bit, um, and then Purdue was the one that was making me a little bit more nervous. I mean, yes, of course, for, for, for the Republican Party, I mean, the Senate is our firewall. If we wind up with the Biden-Harris administration, but still maintain a, a, a Republican majority in the Senate, not a lot changes, right? I mean, from a policy perspective, maybe hopefully we can still, you know, come to some bipartisan agreements and put forth some common sense policy proposals. But the Senate, I, I think that's, of course, Republicans are a little bit nervous about the Senate. Joni had a great debate last weekend. I don't know if you were able to tune in or see some highlights from that. She, I believe she's going to pull it out. I think if you look at the the numbers, um, on how many points Trump won in twenty in in, in um, twenty sixteen? I think she's going to be all right. I, I, yes, I'm worried about Susan Collins. I think you know she's got such an independent, strong name recognition in Maine, but there has been so much money poured into that race against her. And Sarah Gideon also has obviously a a, a pretty significant stature in the state. So I'm worried about Maine. Um, I'm worried about Mick Sally in Arizona. Obviously, she's I losing. think. She, that's that's one that I think, unfortunately, you know, will be lost. And then Cory Gardner in Colorado, who I think is actually a really great middle of the road, moderate, does so much for his state, you know, works across the aisle, oh. really, a, truly a great candidate. But I but I agree that that one, I, I think, is a loss. But one we haven't talked about is uh, John James in Michigan. I mean, we're there's some recent polling mm-hmm. that shows that that could be another flip for Republicans. And I think, you know, with with the Alabama winning Doug Jones's seat and potentially flipping Michigan, I could still foresee a 51 or 52 Republican majority. I think Biden's going to carry Peters in Michigan over the line, I think, uh, there. The the Arizona seat's so interesting, Caitlin, because as you, of course, know, it is a special election to fill the last two years of John McCain's term. Right. And whomever is elected, 
will be sworn in. Of course, McSally's already there. But if and when Kelly is elected, he will actually be sworn in in November. Right, which will impact our vote for November. But then, yeah, this the whole it's worth another podcast uh, on where the Supreme Court confirmation is with COVID and the special election and and the rest. I still believe that that Justice Barrett is going to be confirmed, Judge Barrett to be Justice Barrett. But but it's getting it's getting more complicated for your side there, Caitlin. Well, it is. And it's getting more complicated for Senator Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, which we've seen the amount of money that we've seen poured into that race, which wasn't even really a race on on the map from the Republican standpoint prior. Um, he's he's uh, he's definitely, you know, we're, we're going to the Republican Party is going to have to put some more resources into that race to ensure that uh, that we protect that seat. That said, I think that there actually are a lot lot of conservatives and Republicans in South Carolina that aren't thrilled with Lindsay all the time. And I think the high profile nature of him helping um, Shepard, you know, Amy Coney Barrett through this nomination process and, and, and all of the earned media he's going to get, free earned media um, as chairman of judiciary during this process, I think will help him. Um, even though we're at a, you know, a funding disadvantage in that race, I think he certainly will uh, eke it out as well. So I agree with that. 24 days. I said 25 earlier. It's 24. Thank goodness. I'll take one last day. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for November 3rd or whatever it's going to be. It on. Bring it um, on. Caitlin, thanks for joining us. Mark, great to see you. And uh, always a pleasure. We will be back next week. Thanks, all. Thanks, thanks for Caitlin. having me. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.